0: does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice? Hello, my name is Charlie. You may know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And today we are gathered together to discuss the mystical function of mythology. Okay, so what is the mystical function of mythology? Through the course of this episode, I will be reading several quotes from Joseph Campbell from several of his books. They may sound similar, but the differences are important. As you remember yesterday, we discussed myth as metaphor, and that is very important. So in these next four episodes, we're going to be breaking down the four functions of myth, starting with this one, the mystical function, that any story that you're told, whether it's a religious story, a movie, a television show, a book, a story from your parents, or a story that you tell yourself This is a tool that will help you open it up and see what's really being communicated in that story. It's fascinating when you do this because you can learn things that otherwise would have just gone directly into the black hole of your unconscious and you never would have gotten there. So what is the mystical function of mythology? In the myths of light, Joseph Campbell says, the first must be to open the mind of everybody in the society to that mystery dimension that cannot be analyzed cannot be talked about but can only be experienced as out there and in here at once mm. okay so this is what we're talking about when we talk about mysticism or the mist or the mystical function of mythology and in fact, you'll notice we talk about this a lot in the Via Positiva, the way of bliss in creation spirituality. So th- what does it mean that it is something that cannot be analyzed? This is a phrase that I find more and more people having a hard time with because we live in a modernist or postmodernist world, depending on whether you your community has transitioned yet, and a lot of our propaganda tells us that everything is available to science. Everything. And I would call that a lie, because not everything is available to science. Now, science is important and is anything that can produce a theory that can predict effects before they happen, not merely describe effects after they happen. Which is why sometimes you'll hear people like me refer to spirituality as a spiritual science, because I can tell you if you sit down and meditate, these things will happen. And you sit down, you meditate, those things do happen. There is a predictive model there. I can tell you why they happened. I cannot prove to you why they happened. A scientist can sit sit you down, put you in an MRI, watch your brain, and show that these things are happening, but again, cannot explain why. And that's what we're talking about when we say can't be analyzed. Both the scientific community and the spiritual community can talk to you about the benefits of meditation, but we cannot scientifically analyze why they happen. Why does... Breathing and calming the mind and moving into the present moment have the mental, emotional, and physical effects on your body that do happen. I have my beliefs. Other people will have their beliefs. You will have your own beliefs. But that's what we're talking about at that point. We're talking about beliefs. We're talking about this story, this function of myth. That we experience both internally and externally at the same time. So, when I am... So, okay. (laughs) Think about it like this. Here's another way we can approach this. Is, if you were to go out on a hike, and you approach the peak of a hill, and you look out on this glorious sunrise, and you suddenly have this great experience of all. That is an experience of something both external to you, the sunrise over the valley and all the beauty that's there. There's also an internal experience that you have a hard time naming and you have a hard time really kind of putting your finger on as far as what it really is. This is the great mystery that we are faced in this world is that there are many things like this. Love is a thing like this. We can talk about the biology of it. We can talk about how the chemistry works. We can talk about relationships. Why do you love the person that you're with? Why have I been married to the same guy for 19 years? I don't know. I just am. There's something about him. There's something about the relationship that we have that is both external and internal. I see it in him, and he sees it in me. I feel it in me, and, I, and he feels it in him. There, there, there is a mystery there. In Thou Art That, Joseph Campbell phrases it slightly differently. The first function of, is that of reconciling consciousness to the preconditions of its own existence. That is, of aligning the waking consciousness to the Mysterium Tremendum of this universe as it is. Now, Mysterium Tremendum is actually a short form for the Latin phrase, Mysterium Tremendum et Fascinas. And what that means is the mystery that is both terrifying and fascinating the mystery that pulls us in and pushes us away at the same time that attracts us and repulses us at the same time. And that could be death, which is both interesting. And for anybody who says that they're not attracted to death, most of our entertainment would say otherwise, because we have most of our shows and movies and books are either about a bunch of people dying quickly or one person dying slowly. Um, But there is, you know, that there is a life in your body. You know that this life apparently had a beginning in that you have no memory, most of us have no memory prior to our birth. And what happens later, we don't know. We consume food, we live, we laugh. There is a great mystery about this world that is hard for us to put into terms. That's very hard for us to actually have a good conversation about. It is something that both attracts us and pushes us away. God, for a lot of people, gets wrapped up in this and sometimes is the embodiment of this mystery. For others, it's the universe itself or the cosmos, but in everything you will find this type of reconciliation happening that we are trying to reconcile our life and the world that we live in. And the fact that we feel something both external to us and outside of us, that's also inside of us at the same time. So how does this work? When when, I, when we're talking about the mystical function of myth, how does this actual f- actually function? That might make it easier for you to see. So let's take a very simple story, okay, of Androcles and the lion, okay? This is an old story. Most people have heard a version of this. So in this story, our hero goes out and... He finds a lion. The lion has a thorn in its paw. He takes the thorn out of the lion's paw. Eventually finds himself in some versions of the story in an arena where he is going to be fed to a lion. It just so happens it's the same lion that he removed the thorn from his paw. And the lion refuses to eat him. Instead shows him gratitude and lets him live. So... This is a simple fable, and the moral of the story is that if you help other people, it'll come back to you, right? It's a very simple moral. It's a very simple story. There is a mystical dimension to this story that is easy to miss in this cursory evaluation. First of all, the story takes for granted that the world is not fair. And I know you're going to say, but the story is about that you get what you give. So that's kind of saying that the world is fair. But look at the actual frame of the story. The story is showing us that one, this lion, through no specified fault of his own, ended up with a thorn in his foot. The lion did not deserve to have the thorn in his foot. He just had it. The lion was suffering. The man in this story who pulls the thorn from the lion's foot had no reason to do this other than kindness and generosity of his own heart and being a good person to have them eventually put in a place where this lion could eat them you know in the version of the story that i alluded to where he's taken captive to be fed to this very lion we're not told why was he arrested the uncertainty of the world is implied in the story. Sometimes you get a thorn in your paw. Sometimes you are wrongly accused of a crime. And the only reason I can say that he's wrongly accused of a crime is the stories do not give him. Don't give him culpability. They don't explain why he's there. So that's the first thing that you have to understand is the story is actually telling you about this world is unfair, Bad things will happen to you. Bad things will happen to people and things around you. What you have to do is navigate the world in such a way that you will bring about what will hopefully be the fairness that you want to see. See, he stops to help the lion because he would hope that if he was suffering, someone would help to say, to help, would stop to help him. That's very important. We need to be helped sometimes. And in seeing that need in ourselves, we see that need in others. There is a blurring of the nature of himself and the lion. Because if he were suffering, he would want somebody to relieve his suffering. And so, in this story, this very simple story, we see the mystical dimension quite clearly. The world is messed up. The world has issues. But there is something that connects us, us and the lion, us and this predator that by all rights should attack and destroy us. There is an undersi- an, an undercurrent, a life in both of us that is valid. And so seeing that, In the story. And when we dig down into it. And see that in the story. We are starting to see. How we can reconcile. Our consciousness. With the condition of the world around us. A very simple story. Is what happened at the end of the life. Of the Sufi mystic Hafez. Where he is being. Taken to be crucified for being a mystic and for some of the things that he said. And on his way, he says this wonderful line, it is the duty of a mystic to seek union with God. It is the duty of the community to see that he finds it. And in this statement, he is very overtly showing us the mystical function of the myth here. This is also the man who gives us the, the, you know, a mystic is drawn to God like a moth to a flame. He knows that when he touches the flame, he will die. But in that, he will be united, even if momentarily, with the object of his love and desire. Okay? The, The beautiful, if not tragic, story. And he's showing us in this story This relationship between the great mystery, because the moth doesn't know what the flame is. Just as he doesn't know what the cross is. He may have seen people crucified before. He may have heard stories about people being crucified before. He himself has never experienced it before. He's never, to his own knowledge, experienced death before. But he is drawn to this unity with God. And thus, he just he is willing to accept the fate that comes to him. Not saying the world is fair. But he says the world is fair in its very unfairness. In its very injustice, the world is behaving exactly as the world could, should, and does behave. As Joseph Campbell says in The Pathways, Uh, um, to bliss that is the first function of mythology, not merely a reconciliation of consciousness to the preconditions of its own existence, but reconciliation with gratitude, with love, with reconciliation of the sweetness. Okay. Now stop and think about that for a minute. In both of these stories, even with the tragic markers that are in them, there's a recognition of the sweetness of life. This is in the story of Hafez. This is a man who's being led to his own painful, torturous death. And he looks at it and says, this is what I always wanted. I wanted union with God. You are going to give me union with God. This is what I wanted. There is a recognition of that sweetness. There's a recognition with gratitude that the world is the way it is. I am the way that I am. And thus, together, we navigate this world. You can see this in the teachings of Jesus where he says, Anyone who is is who is burdened and heavy laden, come to me, for my yoke is light and easy to bear. A yoke, if you don't know, is the pole of a cart that is strapped to the shoulders for a beast of burden to pull. In this little story of Jesus, he's not saying, come to me, I will get rid of your burden. He said, no, come to me and I will give you my burden. My burden is easy to bear. He doesn't say you're going to live in a world without burdens. Just that if you have the proper perspective, and if your burden is the burden of Christ's heart, then you will find it easy to bear what you will have to bear. This is the mystical dimension of myth. So, in the previous episode, we talked about the story of Jesus walking on the water and calling St. Peter out of the boat. And so St. Peter comes out of the boat, and as long as he keeps his eyes on Christ, he stays above the water, as soon as he takes his eyes off of Christ, he falls into the water. And Jesus says to him, O ye of little faith, he pulls him out of the water, puts him back in the boat, and there we go. The mystical function of the story is to reconcile us with the world that we live in. First of all, he's out on the boat and the storms are raging around him. Storms come. It's terrible. They're afraid the boat's going to sink. When they first see Jesus out on the water, they freak out and think it's a ghost. They don't believe that he is really there. So the first action here in this story, is a story of disbelief. Peter then sees that it is Jesus. And seeing that it is him, that it is the Lord, and the Lord is beckoning to him to come, he steps out of the boat, and he does not sink in the waters. So how is this reconciling us to the world as it is? Because I can hear some people saying, So you're telling me if I'm out in a storm at sea, I should just get out of the boat and I'll just stand on top of the water and everything will be fine, huh? Mainly because I've had people say that to me before. No, that's not what I'm saying. And that's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is if you want to stay outside of the chaos, the mystical function of the story is to remind you If you are outside of the chaos, if you are just staying in the present moment, not regretting that it's not a beautiful day like it had been on days past, and not fearing what will happen in the future, but staying in that moment, then the storm can rage all around you, the waves can batter all around you, and you will not be part of it. You will stay above it. You will stay calm. You will be able to find a way through. That's what it's trying to tell you. Though the storms rage, so long as you can keep peace in your own heart. And the story even tells us how to do this, right? By keeping your eyes on Jesus. Keeping your eyes focused on the one who is very power that holds the cosmos together. Stay focused in the present. Now you will get through. You will make it to the other side. It'll be okay. Don't freak out. Don't scream. Don't fall apart. It'll be okay. That's what the story is telling you. That's what the story is telling us. And that is a very simple version of the mystical function of myth. So anytime you're reading a story, look at how it is trying to explain to you how your existence relates to the preconditions of the world around you. You are both a product of the world you came from and an alien to it and start to see that tension in yourself and in the characters and the stories that you encounter, no matter where they are from. and in that tension, in that back and forth, in that push and pull, look for what is it trying to tell you about the relationship there, How is it trying to reconcile those different things, and how is it trying to show you how to do this with gratitude, love? And a recognition of the sweetness of life. If you can do that, then you have mastered the mystical function of myth. I hope that helps. It's helped me a lot in a lot of the situations that I have lived through. It really has. And that's what I would like to challenge you to do. Tomorrow we will be talking about the cosmological function of myth. Until then, God bless.